Support for this podcast comes from CLR Clear. Fight back against annoying household messes with CLR Clear. CLR Clear is tough on dirt and grime all around your home, and we're not just talking about calcium, lime, and rust. They have an entire lineup of cleaning products for your kitchen, bathroom, garage, and more. Visit clrbrands.com to learn more. CLR Clear, fight the clean fight. Eileen Fisher designs simple clothes to make your life easier. Timeless pieces in high-quality materials that are responsibly sourced for less impact on the environment and more positive impact in the world. Visit EileenFisher.com and use offer code GIRLFRIEND to receive $25 off your $100 purchase. That's EileenFisher.com, offer code GIRLFRIEND for $25 off. Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. I'm Aminatu So. And I'm Ann Friedman. Every other week, we'll be bringing you a special phone a friend episode between either Ann or me and one of our rad pals. Oh my God, Amina, guess who I talked to this week? Uh, who did you talk to this week? So, if you have ever made a recipe from the internet, chances are you have at least perused Smitten Kitchen at some point. <gasps> I have to say, it was kind of awkward for me. Like, I interview people for a living a lot, and I was kind of weird because it feels strangely intimate. Like, I read Deb Perelman's recipes all the time, but I was like, oh, and now I'm talking to the human being who is, like, kind of represented in my kitchen every day. Did you tell her that we live by that feta salsa recipe from Whole Foods that she adapted? Listen, if I had listed every recipe of hers that I live by, she would have like instantly written me off as a weird but fan. But the feta salsa, and so important to us. I felt it was more important to keep the focus on recipes important to her, but maybe we should share with everyone that feta salsa recipe because it is a service to humanity game changer uh, yeah also yeah you're right. i mean the pressure of that it's like i feel like usually we do phone a friends with like people that are like buddies and pals of ours but you know you're like in martha stewart territory i mean here. we are like pseudo internet fr- we're not like real friends we're like internet like low-level internet friends enough that like i could get in touch with her easily but not like oh i chat to you all the time about like what do you do with all the extra food if you test recipes and oh my yeah uh, so many food blogger secrets revealed Oh, I can't wait to hear this. It's going to be amazing. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. And technically, it's phone a friend, but we have never met in person so I don't know if it really counts <laughs> oh we oh that's awesome <laughs> I feel like I have this a, a relationship with you already in part because I've been reading your site for so long and you share a lot of yourself on the site but also because cooking is this it's like kind of an intimate thing right like I'm in I'm in my kitchen with you multiple nights a week and I'm wondering if you th- if you think about that much like that the way that you connect to the people who read your cookbook and your website uh, I think about it all the time I always kind of have this conversation going in my head with imaginary readers I hope that's probably makes me sound as crazy as I legitimately am but um I guess all these years of doing it because um Smitten Kitchen's coming up on 10 years that's crazy it's definitely a big part of the way I cook and I don't I don't even know that it wasn't there before I had the website. I think it's just, I do have this very conversational feel about cooking. I sort of imagine that we're telling each other about recipes, that it's just, it's a way of communicating something that you want to do. And um, I feel like for me, the, the recipes that work the best for me are a little bit conversational. 
What does that mean? It means like it's a food that you feel passionately about or it's like a type of cuisine? If you were just doing, you know, a, a recipe, it would be, you know, that was very straightforward. It'd be like mix this, step two, you know, wash that, pile this in, you know, it'd be very straightforward. But in conversation, you'd be like, by the way, when you're mixing it, it's going to look a little bit lumpy and you're probably going to think that I, you've done something wrong. You have not. You would have all these interjections that I think are really helpful when everybody's a little bit nervous in the kitchen, especially when they're making something new. So it's a little bit of an unevenness where some some steps might have more information just because we're, I'm trying to clarify something that I would have found helpful the first time I was making it. Do you think that's like a new style in writing recipes or in cookbooks? Because I feel like some of the old cookbooks, like the church cookbooks my mom has that like I, she grew up, I, when I was growing up, she would cook from are definitely just like fold in egg whites, period. Like (laughs) not conversational. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely, that was the correct way to write recipes. No, you're not supposed to go on too long or babble the way I do. But I think, as I find it very nerve wracking, even now when I'm making a recipe for the first time. I mean, even though it's my job, it's still a lot of time and effort and I have to like carve out time in my day and get all the groceries and all this stuff aligns to maybe a two hour period that you have to make something work. And it's like, I don't know, I find it a little bit stressful. So I, those little tips, you know, that, that warn me about things. It's a lot more helpful when I, when I have a, when I have a recipe that sort of talks to me that way than just says mix, stir, dump. <laughs> dump is a ter- dump is a very common word in in, in recipes these days. I, I've learned about a whole category of foods called like dump it cakes and yes. dump it casseroles. It's a terrible word. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe because I'm from the Midwest, where we like to dump things in large like receptacles. That's <laughs> I'm familiar. It sounds, it sounds upbeat, but it also could really go the wrong way. So I don't know. Right. But right. It, I, I get the idea though. You 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 want to put everything in and just not have you know different. You know, it, it sounds like a, a nice, straightforward way to cook. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious about your process. Clearly, you know, you, you test these and make all of these things. And I'm wondering if you, if you make everything multiple times and then are you taking notes while you're cooking or do you kind of sit down afterward and say, OK, what did I do at each step? Like maybe walk me through that a little. I tend to cook very, very, very slowly and very deliberately. Just about everything's tested about twice, but often it's just that I made it the year before and I took some notes and I wanted to make it again. I only sometimes make something two or three times in one week to get it right for a specific recipe, and that's because it's bothering me or I haven't tired of the food. It's terrible, but because this is the actual food that we're cooking and not a recipe testing studio, (laughs) um, I don't want to eat the same soup three times in a row. So I'll make it once, and then if I'm not happy with it, take some notes and then come back to it when I'm craving that soup again. I absolutely take notes right onto my laptop while I'm cooking. In my old kitchen, it was so small that I only had room to, I would print up the recipe that I typed sort of notes about. Uh, I would pin it to the fridge with a magnet and then like take notes with pens. And then I'd have to like get the notes from pen back into the computer. It was, it was not a good process for me at all. My current kitchen has like 25% more space. And so I put my um, computer on one counter, which it, it's, it's a very small thing, but it makes a big difference in how easy it is for me to um, take notes as I'm cooking. And that's part of the reason that it takes so long is that the smallest step grading four cups of cheese is I'm taking a weight, I'm taking a volume, I'm making note of how I'm grading it, whether I think it's too much or too little. 
and that's that's just cheese. <laughs> Has like documenting, I know it's been a while now, but like documenting this, the way you're cooking changed who you are as a cook or changed your own process? I find it very hard to cook sort of off the cuff these days. I always want to write everything down. And when I don't, I regret it. It never fails that the thing I was, it never fails that the thing that I took obsessively good notes and a hundred photos of flops and the thing that I just threw together and didn't write down anything about and didn't take a photo of is the one that I'm like, God, that would be so great to share. Now I have to make it again. (laughs) Are you ever like, I want to keep that one just for me? Like that was just for me and my family. I'm not going to put it out into the world. I actually feel like I have a lot of that and I've been trying to figure out what to do with that because On Smitten Kitchen, it's a lot of like recipes I want to get excited about or that sort of, I don't know, I hate the word elevate, but just, I feel like we all know how to scramble eggs, though we actually have a post on that too, but (laughs) we know how to scramble eggs and like roast a chicken breast. What we, most of us are looking for something that's a little bit more interesting to do. I always think of this as sort of like conundrum with a lot of magazines where you know most people's homes are not so fancy most of their menus aren't so elaborate but it's not that interesting just to talk about some ikea stuff you threw together so it's it's sort of like it, it needs to be a little bit of a value add i guess something for me a little bit different that i like about a chicken chili or something however like everybody else i have my weekday night staples that you know, I they don't always make it, I wouldn't say staples, but there's definitely things that we just sort of make at home that I haven't really figured out if they're worth packaging up for the site. I went through this phase where we're making pulled chicken sliders a lot. And it's just, it's just food. It's not the most exciting thing, but one of these days I'll get the recipe up there. But so there's definitely a lot of the everyday cooking that doesn't necessarily make the cut. There's something that strikes me, at least for me personally, as kind of a recipe sweet spot where mm-hmm. it's not it's not like love you Ottolenghi, but like I don't want to go buy like <laughs> like eight million kinds of preserved lemons or whatever. <laughs> I mean, I, I I I can appreciate that as like a special thing, but it's not for a weeknight. And then on the flip side, you know, something that is a super, super basic three ingredient, I could probably make this up myself. And so for me, and I think this is one thing I like about a lot of your recipes is that they fit somewhere in the middle of that spectrum. And I don't know quite how to define the range, but do you, do you set parameters for yourself? Like no more than X ingredients or like, do you try to keep it in that, in that middle range? Not at all, but thank you because it is exactly what I'm trying to do though, which is sort of that, I feel like we're all very obsessed these days with chef cooking and restaurant cooking and I love it too, but it's, it's completely implausible and practical for at home. I mean, I know some chefs manage to write recipes for home cooks that are very doable, but it's, it's the exception, not the rule. It's just a different kind of cooking in a restaurant. You're going to do all of this prep all day. So you've got your eight prep bowls and then you can assemble a dish at the last minute. Nobody cooks like that. Most people don't even want to. But then you also have on the other end, which I, <laughs> I remember when I um, asked once for some slow cooker recipes and the sheer number of people who told me, oh, you just take some chicken breasts and a jar of salsa and you put it in the slow cooker and then when you come home, you have chicken tacos. And I mean, it sounds really good, but I'm not going to write up that recipe. So there's sort of like that end of things too. And as I you know, was saying, I think what most of us want is just something that's a little bit more inspiring, something that you didn't know could be that good, or here's a little extra step, but it was worth it. 
or here's a different way to approach it that made it a little bit better or maybe a little more doable on a weekday night. I'm always looking for exceptions or something that's a little like a value add or just something I hadn't considered before that I hadn't seen somewhere else. Yeah. I'm always thinking about like, when does a recipe become yours? When does it become a Smitten Kitchen mm-hmm. recipe? Maybe it was, you know, originally you started out cooking something that you found in another cookbook or online, but you've made so many modifications and like, you know, you've written that narrative recipe. Like at what point is it, is it yours? I know you always credit adapted from whatever, but I'm curious about that. If you think about like, huh, can I just call this mine at this point? <laughs> it's, it's so hard because it's like, you know, people are like, I love, you know, Martha Stewart's lasagna. I'm like, she didn't invent lasagna. <laughs> so like, how is that? And I feel like, being an untrained chef and a food blogger, like a kind of a non-professional at this, I feel like the idea of recipe origin, it's a lot more scrutinized than it would be if you were, say, Martha Stewart. Nobody says Martha Stewart. Who do you owe that credit to? But people absolutely expect it from food blogs. That said, I'm completely okay with it. There are these sort of semi-official ideas that if you change three recipes or put it in your own language, it's yours. But to me, that feels like a really dirty game to play. I know that most people aren't going to do it maliciously, but three just to change three ingredients and then call it your own seems really um, off to me. So I go in the opposite direction, and I probably credit things that don't even deserve to be blamed for the things that I've done to it because I would just rather not offend anybody. And also, I like the idea of not it's not a land grab. It doesn't have to be all mine. You know, I mean, it's okay. I, Sarah Jenkins taught me this thing about artichokes and this person taught me this thing about putting cornmeal in their pots. I like the idea that it's like a patchwork of different things that you've learned with some things that you've picked up on your own. You know, I just think when in doubt, talk about where the recipe came from. I also think it makes it a lot more interesting like a backstory. I love the stories behind recipes. And if it's all, if you pretend you created everything in a vacuum, there's no story. Also, you're a liar. <laughs> There's that issue too. And I've definitely, I've definitely been there where, where, um, where you thought it was your idea and you were definitely the first person to have it out there. But here's somebody who's taken it and changed one thing and called it theirs. And you're trying to determine what level of outrage you should have over it. And for me, the answer has always been none because whatever, you're not going to run out of ideas, right? You know, people can take it, but they can't take everything. But then I still have these things where I'm like, really, you changed one ingredient and called it your own? (laughs) Yeah, do you get angry about that? Sometimes, sometimes it depends on my mood. You know, if you're going through like a a frustrating professional week or day, yeah, it definitely hits a lot harder. You know, like you're looking at a major newspaper or magazine and somebody changed one ingredient and called it their own recipe, which as you can see, happened. (laughs) And then there are other times where I'm like, this is so stupid. This is such a not good way to spend my time. Move on. Keep creating new things because I'm not out of ideas yet. So, Um, so yes, I go back and forth. I'm human. Is there a person in your life or like a tactic that you have for sort of stepping away and being like, oh my God, I'm too deep in like this weird niche online recipe world and I'm worrying about stuff that no one else cares about. Yeah, I would say that's actually most of my life. Most of my friends do not cook, have only limit day like when I cook. I joke that when I started the site that most of my friends use their ovens for sweater storage. That's changed in the last probably five years because most of them have picked up spouses that cook. Mm-hmm, that helps. <laughs> and most of our my friends' relationships, it's the guy who cooks and not the girl. I mean, so it's not like these traditional gender roles either. So, But the point is that I don't actually have a lot of cooking obsessives in my life, and I 
only have maybe one friend who spends a spectacular amount of time working on the web and in a totally different format. So the nice thing is that my social life and my real life have very little to do with the website, which I think is, is a good, it's a good break because imagine if you were just living and breathing your work every day, every evening, every weekend. I mean, some people do that. They love it. I'm not one of those either, but they, they're out there. For me, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of that. Like whole, um, I think Anne Lamott calls it refilling the well, like your creative well. This idea that you need to kind of that when you're feeling tapped out and you've run out of stories to tell, it's time to refill the well. For me, I never refill the well from the web. It has to be like we went away for the weekend, or I left the apartment for two hours and looked around, or it doesn't. I don't get the the well refilled in the kitchen while I'm cooking. Yeah, that's, and did you have to learn that, like, the hard way? Was there a time when you were spending more time on the internet to try to refill it? I mean, we all do that because, I mean, well, I say we all do. How do I actually don't know that we all do it. I've definitely done it. Um, I do it. I do it. <laughs> well, you do it because you're, I don't, I mean, I don't know what your, your life is like. You know, I've got two kids. I'm at home. I'm not like, I can't just go, oh, honey, can you take care of the kids tonight? I have to go refill my co- creative well. <laughs> so you start looking around. You read The New Yorker. You read somebody's favorite article. That's actually one of my favorite things is to collect everybody, like your favorite article you've ever read. I don't know why. So, you know, I try to, so I look for ways that I can do it from the inside with than the you know reality of my day-to-day life but it does it does it's not as effective nothing is as effective as like an hour walk outside I should just start doing that I'm just like sorry kids no dinner tonight I have to go take an hour walk outside um I'm, I'm learning it and I, I also think you know when I started um when I quit my so-called day job in 2008 to start doing the site full-time I was terrified, you know, of failing. And so I was like, I'm just going to work all day, every day. I'm going to work harder than anybody has ever worked. And it's a terrible way because working obsessively is not working better. Did you have a breaking point where you were like, oh, that actually didn't work? No, but I think there's definitely like an ebb and flow of things. These days, it's more of the opposite because I had my first kid in 2009 and then it, it became this fight to get back to work because there's so much drawing me away. I have full-time childcare. I, this is a full-time job for me, but I work from home. So like everything's all mixed up. You know, I'm in a room with a closed door right now. <laughs> How do you draw those boundaries? I was other than closing the door, I guess. Uh, well, you know, it depends right now. My, uh, my daughter is six months old, so she's not like banging down the door and going mommy, 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 but it really helps too. If you're at home and like, I have, um, you know, a babysitter that comes during the day, just have it set up. Like I'm working now. <laughs> keep them busy or a lot of taking the kids out to the park, which is good for them too. And so does work, how much of like the work day or what you would consider your like time on the clock Mm -hmm. involve physically being in the kitchen and cooking versus the sort of writing and revising and emailing and all that other stuff? You know, would it be fun if it was most of the day, but it's, it's at best half of a day and it's not every day. I would say in the morning, I'm probably at I want to say sharpest, but it doesn't mean I'm that sharp every morning. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, it's my, sort of my best chance to sort of get good writing, editing, scrutinizing, recipe planning, recipe research done. If I have any e- emails to answer, which I always do, it would be ideal to get them done in the morning. I feel like by 1 p.m., I, sorry, it's after 1 p.m. now, not to worry you, but my brain starts to get a little mushy and it's a good time for me to stop doing this sort of high level work and get get into the, the kitchen routine. So that's usually I start cooking, usually start my cooking day around 12 or 1. Um, and then I'll cook right through till dinner time. And then do you usually end up eating whatever it was that you made? <laughs> yeah, ideally. Um, there are times that I'm actually sick of it by 6 p.m., which is 
a decidedly first world problem. Um, <laughs> if it's like round four of something and I didn't have a you know ch- choice but to get it right. But yeah, quite often, if it's savory, it's dinner. If it's dessert, we try to hide it from ourselves. How does that even work? Um, try to get the babysitter to take some home, stuff some in the freezer. If you know things get bad enough, you can do the the Miranda Sex in the City thing. I can't believe how old I sound when I reference that when you like pour dish soap on it and the <laughs> garbage. But for the most part, baked goods. When I'm making something sweet, it's with a specific place that it's intended to go. Like, oh, we have this party this weekend, or you know, I thought it would be nice to make this and let me send half home with a babysitter. And like, you know, fat friends are coming over this weekend. It's not like I just made a three layer cake because it seemed like a good thing to do on a Thursday. Right. I mean, maybe somebody else's metabolism could do that, but not mind. (laughs) Every generation has its challenges. Some would say that's the reason for its progress. It might start with a small act of kindness or a big idea that changes everything. It can come from the tiniest voice or the voice of a generation. Or it could come from me, Aminatu. I am one of six change-making women featured in Eileen Fisher's Good Goes On campaign this spring. The campaign highlights women empowering women, the importance of sustainability, and the power of good design. Eileen started in 1984 with the idea that simple clothes can make life easier. And after spending a day on set wearing a super comfortable ultra-chic jumpsuit, I think she's really on to something. As a company, Eileen Fisher believes doing well by doing good, and that's reflected in the way their clothes are made. Timeless styles and quality materials that are responsibly sourced for less impact on the environment and a more positive impact on the world. It was a real honor to be featured in this campaign and meet the other women making a difference in their community. I've been a longtime Eileen Fisher fan, so this was a dream come true for me. You can visit EileenFisher.com and use the offer code GIRLFRIEND to receive $25 off of your $100 purchase. That's EileenFisher.com, offer code GIRLFRIEND for $25 off. It's funny, one of the things that I I sort of am, I guess, attuned to in a lot of your recipes is that you're a former vegetarian. I feel like you talk about that a lot. Are um, you a current vegetarian? Well, you know, I sort of, I used to be very strict and I sort of, I've been sliding down the slippery slope steadily for 10 years or so. Okay. And at this point I eat, I eat fish and I eat like if someone, I'm at someone's house and they serve me something with meat, I'll just eat it rather than, you know, it feels too diva-ish to pitch a, to pitch a fit about it. You should totally Um, pitch a fit, throw your fork and storm out. (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? Like, oh, I just, I also, there's like some, something about this social moment where respect to all of my vegan gluten-free friends, I'm just like, don't let me in with them. I have a weird, (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. I completely understand because I am, um, well, I was vegetarian for a long time and I never wanted anybody to accommodate me. I would insist like a friend's what, like, I guess steakhouses were maybe more trendy in the early 2000s. Um, <laughs> people like to go, I was like, let's go to, I, I got obsessed with these steakhouse sides, you know, like I loved like the roasted buttery mushrooms and the perfectly steamed asparagus and stuff. I mean, I was like, this is a pretty good meal for me. I'm not unhappy in any way. <laughs> So I totally understand the desire to not be divish. For me, though, I became a vegetarian when I was 13. And even then, I um, kind of just thought it was going to be a short-lived thing. And I figured that 
if I wanted to eat meat, I would eat meat at the point where I didn't want to, I didn't want to do this anymore. I wasn't going to keep doing it. I wasn't going to be a martyr for it if it wasn't making me happy. And surprisingly, that took 15 years. But I, a lot of it, I'm given, you know, 13 year old logic here. I just didn't really like meat very much. And I didn't like most of the ways I'd had it. And of course, I read too much about factory farming with a 13 year old brain to process it. And I just thought all bad, nothing good, can't do this. And then as I got older, I learned ways to, you can definitely get good sustainable meat these days. You know, you don't need to, it doesn't have to be stuff that's terrible for the animal and terrible for the environment. And I also learned how to prepare it in ways that I actually really liked it. So those two things were the big changing points for me. And I kind of eased back in slowly where I was probably eating meat like every couple weeks. And now I would say I eat it a few times a week. And did you have, because clearly by that point you were already like a home cook. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's sort of, I don't know, maybe at some point in my life I will be a full-fledged meat eater. Mm -hmm. Um, But but I have have zero experience cooking with it. Like I have no idea. I'm like terrified that I'm going to kill everyone if I prepare. It's really terrifying. Um, Actually, I still feel like I'm, you know, I've got some things that I do that I know how to do, but I still don't consider myself a meat expert in any way. I'm only an expert in what I like and what I don't like. Um, but I would say I started the site about a, probably a year later. So that, that was part of um, when I started the site. It was just this idea of like, I'm figuring out how to cook things and I really like some of them and I want to tell people about the things that I like. So, I mean, some of those times I was making chicken or steak on the site, it might have been the first or third time I'd ever made it. But I found something I liked and I wanted to tell somebody about it. Yeah. So talk more about that. Like what was the impetus to to share what was what is for a lot of us like a private um, a private practice or or hobby? I can't help it. I'm just like when I find something cool, like I want to tell you about it right away. Oh, you know, this is a good example of something that hasn't gone up on this side. I I found like the perfect Korean steak short rib marinade like I kind of tweaked it a little bit we started making it like once a month and then once every two weeks and I told a few like moms at preschool about it and then I had to email them all the recipe like you have to make this it's in my DNA somehow like I, I should uh, like an oversharer of recipes is that a thing you can be coded for Sure, <laughs> but I I have to tell people like when I when I find something I like I get really excited about it and I want everyone to know like if there's this I feel like most people are just looking around for a good way to make short ribs or I mean when it comes to the kitchen especially people who don't obsess over these things like I do you you don't really necessarily want to know the whole process you just want a recipe that works and so if I have one. It, it, it would actually almost physically pain me if a friend's like, I made this recipe from this website and it was terrible. I'm like, why didn't you use mine? I have a recipe. <laughs> I, I could have, you could have avoided this completely. <laughs> why don't you search my archive first for everything? I mean, have, what, you just text, like, call your girlfriend. I like this. Right. So call me. Call me. I would tell you. I would tell you which buttercream to use, which one not to use, and which ones I like from other websites. I don't know. I just want everybody to have the recipe that I know works. Well, and I think that there's a lot of stress around, I mean, the actual process of cooking less so than the process of deciding what to make or like how to shop. I mean, at least in it for me, and I think for the people that I know. So there's probably some element to that too, where you're like, I just want to help you with that process on the front end. <laughs> I, I want to put something in front of people that they're like, I wasn't even thinking about cooking today, but I have to make that. I love those gut recipes, those things that spring you to action. The whole idea of deciding, maybe I'll cook today. I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't. It's like definitely, you know, a situation we're lucky enough to have. But, I mean, I live in New York City. There is 
almost no reason whatsoever to cook any day of the week. There is so much good food around, especially in my neighborhood. I can have it delivered. It's often cheaper. So why would you cook? You'd cook because there's something you're really excited about or you'd cook because there's something that nobody makes as well as you want them to because you want a better recipe for it. So for me, that's where most of the cooking I get excited to share comes from. It's a, a better chocolate cake or an easier chocolate cake so easy to make you don't even want to order takeout or I wasn't even thinking about cooking but I am now craving this because it was so good I often find myself using it I mean I work from home and I I often find myself using cooking as like a firm break between my work day and my like non-online evening where I have to focus on doing something with my hands Mm -hmm. do something where I'm not working with words I mean I guess I'm reading a recipe but there is something about it too that's like the process is important to me I think so. And also, you know, think about it like, you know, you probably don't do a lot of painting or, you know, ceramic sculpture during the day, but you created something. It's sort of fun to, it is a creative process, you know, to make something from this pile of ingredients. And I feel like that can be satisfying, especially when it's not your work. It's, it's, you know, like exercising a completely different muscle at the end of the day. For sure. I'm curious if you have thoughts about the process of cooking and its its gender implications, especially like in in straight relationships, <laughs> um, has 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 changed quite a bit. I think cooking maybe used to be considered kind of alongside like cleaning and other things that we would now call chores. And for some people, cooking definitely remains a chore. But for a lot of people, I think it's it's sort of moving into this other hobbyist realm, whereas like. Very few people would probably say that they're a toilet cleaning hobbyist, <laughs> or like a, you know I what I mean. I, I think there's really been a shift to come over once a week, <laughs> <laughs> right? That's like the final frontier. But I do think you know it's interesting that you mentioned so many of your friends have male partners who are into doing the cooking, and I definitely think that there's something about it that shift and like the interest of men in being home cooks that is somehow related. I don't know if you have mm-hmm. thoughts about that. Oh my God, I have so many. We're going to need like a three hour podcast for it. <laughs> I think I think it's really interesting. I also think of the way that that has changed. It changed our cooking because if you were obligated to do it due to like, you know, patriarchy or, you know, outside double standards, you probably would cook a lot differently than you do when you're cooking purely for pleasure and for by choice. So I think about it in that way. And then of course, I I think I have a lot of readers that cook because they're the girl in the relationship and it's just sort of expected. And I I can hear it in the way that it's talking like, you know, since it's like, oh, my husband didn't like it, so I couldn't make it or something. And I'm, you know, I have to bite my tongue because they're not here for a feminist lesson on um, who you have to cook for. Nor do I ever want it to be my place to lecture people. I think of cooking, you know, or teaching your kids to cook as a bit of self-care. I mean... I think a lot of people, at least a lot of my female friends, especially and guys just by default, grew up, nobody was like, okay, honey, it's time for you to learn how to make soup. It's time for you to learn to chop an onion. And it was for good reason, because our parents had great ambitions for us, and they were not going to, they didn't want us to be limited to a life in the kitchen. But then you become a grown up and, and you don't even know how to roast a chicken. And I think we could do a real service to our kids, you know, boys and girls equally to teach them all to make a few things. So when you get out on your own, you can take care of yourself. It's true. I, um, I definitely have some friends who 
some of them men, but some of them women for sure, who will come over for dinner and I will make something that I would consider like a weeknight dinner, like a pot of rice and lentils with vegetables, nothing mm-hmm. fancy. And they have this look on their face like magic you have just created. Like clearly these are like quesadilla only people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's terrifying. And I too, and my mom cooked a lot and she would have taught me anything. My grandmother was a great cook, but most of it I still figured out on my own. I did not get cooking lessons at my mother or grandmother's knee. So even as an adult, I was like, I'm going to start eating chicken. I don't even know how to cook chicken. I don't know how to cook steak. I think most of us are learning this stuff as adults. I mean, it's great that we're learning it by choice, but um, I feel like a lot of information has been lost and that's why people are turning to the internet and, you know, cookbooks and magazines more than ever to get their cooking because we came of age totally, many of us totally unable to cook for ourselves. Right. I feel really old when I think of the fact that I actually had home ec classes. <laughs> I think um, I had one too. Yeah. But yeah, it was, um, I know, home ec, like what is that? Keeping an economic home? I don't. I mean, I think in the best possible iteration, it would be like personal finance. I think that we talked about, we might have talked about how to balance a checkbook, LOL, balancing a checkbook. Um, I, but then we, I, that's we a also life had, skill I could use a little bit more of. I know, right? I mean, I'm like, wow, the era before you got everything printed out in a statement, um, like a record of your spending. But we definitely had to make a map through the grocery store and plot out like a list that corresponded with the layout of the grocery store. That was an assignment I had. Okay, that is a daily job of mine. I mean, I I got to the checkout line and I was like, oh, I put leeks at the bottom, not in the vegetable section. So I don't have them in my cart now. Like, you know, I do that all the time. What is your, do you use, like, how do you keep a shopping list? What's your, do you keep a paper one or an app? Or? No, I, um, I, you know, it's like I'm using something, but I don't really love it. I started using Google Docs when they first started and gone downhill, but um, I still have a lot of, I sort of keep lists on them. I've got, like, my cooking to-do list and my non-cooking to-do list, and I just have them open in a tab all day, and I just, you know, I need this grocery, I need that. I, I can't remember anything. The main reason I liked it is because I could have it open on my computer or my phone and it would be the same but I think there's a lot better things out there for today but this is this is what I use it's these very long to-do lists in document format right it's funny too because I was like god just hearing you say that I was like there must be someone's made a better grocery shopping app and then I'm like no it's all like pay someone to shop for you apps. Yes, I just don't want my information like locked up in some app too that's like, you know, inserting ads like, hey, you can get this on sale from this or order from this website. Like, I guess I kind of like, the thing with the document is that it's kind of, you know, as fully mine as it can be. It's a clean page. There's nothing else on there. And I don't have to deal with like, um, for the most part, like app load times or anything like that. Are there, are there a handful of recipes that you're like, this is a really important recipe to me? <laughs> yeah, I think there are. Um, let me think. Because I, I cook, when I say I cook seasonally, I don't mean like, oh, I cannot touch a tomato because it's January um, and things that people in LA don't have to deal with. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, I cook like right now, we've made chicken pot pies twice in the last month, um, mostly for other like, like party formatted, like made it for a crowd. I was really pleased with when I got that recipe right because I'd made them many years ago from another recipe and I was happy with them, but they weren't great. And I feel like it's one of those cool things to be able to make really well. And I also have a really great vegetarian pot pie. So that that just came to my mind because I've made it twice in the last month. If you asked me in you know the summer, it would be a completely different recipe. I am very pleased with my one bowl quick frosting chocolate cake. 
that I just feel like it's somebody's birthday, make this cake. It's so good. And it's very simple. And our baby was about well, she was exactly four weeks old on my husband's birthday this summer. And I was like, well, I'm not, you know, nobody's expecting me to make a cake. And then I remembered that I have this cake that I can have done in completely in an hour. And I had a babysitter. So I was like, I guess I'm going to make chocolate cake. And it was great. We had birthday cake. Then he came home and his office had bought him a birthday cake. I was like, come on. No. <laughs> it's a great trick to have up your sleeve. Everybody should have a recipe like that. So, oh, it's your birthday. I can make this. You're coming over for dinner. I want to make this dessert. Like a couple recipes like that, that you can just, they're so easy. I mean, probably the most important thing is that they're yours or that, that you're comfortable with them or you find them easy. Yeah. And, but I, I, what, well, for me, that, that would be like a normal person's most important thing. But my most important thing is that other people have made it and had the same success level as I have, because sometimes something gets lost in the gap where I've made it a million times at home and it's perfect. And then, so I start getting comments from readers that it didn't work and I want to cry. Um, because that's kind of what I do is make things that work for you too. I don't mean like actual tears. It's more like frustration and trying to figure out what happened. But yeah, but th- these are definitely recipes that I, that I'm, I hear work equally well for everybody, which makes it, it's a big deal to me. Right. Well, um, Deb, thank you so much for being on the podcast. This has been awesome. Thank you for having me on. I'm going to go make chocolate cake. Not immediately, but today. <laughs> it's called the I Want Chocolate Cake Cake, by the way. It's got a really silly name, but it, it really is just like when you need chocolate cake, this is the one to make. So strongly. I, I stand behind this statement. We talk a lot about <laughs> menstrual cramps on the podcast. and I feel like this is, well, should be a companion, a companion recipe. <laughs> it really is. And also you can put rainbow sprinkles on it. So that's going to solve anything that the chocolate does not. Oh, uh, <laughs> yes. So psychologically important. You can find us many places on the internet, on our website, callyourgirlfriend.com. Download our show on the Acast app or on iTunes, where we would love it if you left us a review. You can tweet at us at callyrgf or email us callyrgf at gmail.com. You can even leave us a short and sweet voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. This podcast is produced by Gina Delvac.